Hi, you're listening to Your Best with my nanny, Kathy Weckworth. Hi, this is Kathy Weckworth, Executive Director of Best Life Ministries, and you're listening to Your Best, a motivational, inspirational 30 minutes that will help you want to be your best. Hi, this is Lita. You are listening to Your Best with my daughter, Kathleen Weckworth. Today's topic is the ever-changing world. Friends, if you're anything like me, you've decided that you were turning off the TV for a while, you're ixnaying the newspapers, and you're saying no to anyone else who's fighting. The feuds have been horrific, haven't they? Between Democrats and Republicans, between left side, right side, inside, outside. Fighting has become the norm. Everything that we once thought made sense has suddenly become blurry. Black and white are no longer the straight and narrow line with this on the left and that on the right. No, instead, everything is a lovely shade of gray. Even Cordelia, my three-year-old granddaughter, told me this the other day. As we sat next to each other at the big old Sunday school table that her mommy, Janessa, got from a church that was closing, Cordy said, Nanny, watch me. She took white, added it to black, and said, Ta-da, I made gray. You see, when we mix everything together, say that it isn't right and this is wrong and whatever we're thinking, the lines become murky and confusing. Recently, I had some women from ministry connect with me. One leader of a denominational group in the state of Minnesota was fighting with women protesters. When I asked her why, she said, I had a few things I agreed with, so I'm going to stand and I'm going to march with them. And yet she didn't agree with it all, but she joined in. When asked if she thought about how it represented everyone in her denomination, since she was the head of it, she said, ah, no, I guess I never really thought of that. People aren't thinking. People are shouting. People are talking. People are stomping. People are yelling. But people are no longer reasonably sitting down and chatting with one another over issues. Instead, they are angry. They are mobbing. They are creating havoc. As I look back at my upbringing and my past, I've always depended on the one thing that doesn't change, and that's God. Scripture tells us that God says, I'm the same yesterday and today and forever. Yet look at the church today. I worked for church for over 25 years. As a child, I was at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I worked in churches that drew crowds of over a thousand people on Sundays, and the world seemed calm and as it should. It needed church, and church, it needed people. But now the church, I believe personally, has failed miserably. Pastors are no longer preaching on relevant things. They're telling people that there are no lines. Love one another. God is love. Jesus forgave. There's no right or wrong. Oh, wait. No, I'm right, you're wrong. That's what society is teaching. As I look around me, I'm constantly looking for people who don't have their head in the sand, who are thinking about what's happening around them, who are praying, and who see more than meets the eye. That's what Jesus did. I'm looking for people like that. I want to know what they know, what they think, and what they see. Well, joining me on today's show to talk about the changes in the church and kind of what's happening out there in society, and if it's remaining relevant or if it's simply changing, the church that is, because it needs to change, because Scripture, God, Jesus, and the whole Christianity realm is no longer relevant, many people say. 
Well, we're going to talk about that because Kathy, right here on Your Best, believes that God is always relevant, that the Bible stays the same, that God never changes. But we're going to discuss some of the top leaders in Christianity today, some that are pastors, some that are authors, and we're going to talk about it. And I have my friend who is an incredibly funny guy, very smart and wise, founder of Chicken Systems Incorporated, a music software company, and he's going to be on with me, Garth Yelty. Garth, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So, Garth, we're going to talk about some fun things today that are a little bit scary, things that are happening in society. And there's a lot of change that's been coming on with the local church. I want to talk about that since the 80s and 90s. And I know as a worship director, it was really popular back when I started to begin to train and teach our church, the congregation, the teams, the pastors, we're all into what we called seeker-sensitive And this meant more of a spectator's church where you came and you were entertained and kind of an emphasis on the entertained. And well-respected pastor Perry Stone says that the seeker movement did a lot of damage to the church body. And I know you and I have talked about it a lot, but I want to know what do you think about the seeker movement? And do you think it was a good thing for churches to implement or, or what are your thoughts? Well, I think anything that a church does to a congregation, at least the leadership to the congregation, uh, to get them outward rather than inward is a good thing. And for them to be, instead of just maintaining their church, they're looking at the very point of the harvest and reaping the harvest, as the Lord says. So I think in that end, it was a very good thing. And you and I have talked about this before. We have our roots in more evangelistic churches back in the 80s and such like that. And really, those churches were growing because they found a way to appeal to people. And people would come to church because they would go, oh, it would, this is a very relevant thing. I, you know, this is the Jesus that I knew when I was little, but now I see how he applies to the modern day. Seekers churches took that a step further, and instead of waiting for people to come to them by putting out this great church, they actually said, okay, well, how can we make it a little bit more comfortable for them? How can we make ourselves more like the culture, the good parts of the culture? We're not talking about bars or anything like that, although (laughs) there are some secret churches that did that. Absolutely. uh, What they tried to do is they tried to get it out of the, the church walls that looked markedly different than the culture's, and tried to associate more with it. So, in all, I think it was. I, in all, I think it was a good thing. Now, obviously, it sort of ended. It had about a ten-year run, I suppose, but it did end for certain reasons. Right. So, I think about the the church that I worked at in the Twin Cities, and they were really, really big into modeling after Willow Creek, which was kind of the original. Don't you think that was the original seeker-sensitive right. movement started from that? Yeah, completely. Yeah. So, uh, they, they, everything that I read points totally to them starting it. Right. And and what's interesting, Garth, is that if you talk to Bill Hybels or Nancy Beach or Rory Noland right now, they're going to tell you they feel like they made a bunch of mistakes creating right. the whole seeker-sensitive thing. And, and one of the things that we had to do in Churchland, being a model of them, is that we had to go through all of our music and anything, as a worship director, I was the assistant at this first, first church, Anything that had to do with the blood of the lamb, anything that a regular Joe Schmo from the street didn't recognize, we had to ditch that. And I remember at one of my churches in the Twin Cities, um, they were trying to come up with a, a logo, a slogan for their church. And 
you know, one guy said, well, Kathy's always bringing in music, you know, like from the regular radio station, you know, it's not even a Christian song, like she had the Goo Goo Dolls. So I think the, you know, the title of the church should be blah, 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 church. And and the slogan should be God, Grace, and the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> that was funny. Oh my God. <laughs> I know, but we didn't do it. We did real people, real place, real God instead. So even though you think it was a good thing, now I'm out in rural Minnesota. I've got my own little church, and I'm looking back at what we did. And I think, yeah, it did attract people. But just like you and I talked about all the time, Garth, there was a lot of things that I don't think were authentic. You know, you brought up the word authentic about Churchland before I think authentic was even real and popular. (laughs) You were like already saying, no, it doesn't seem it was like more kind of like a machine people were entertaining. It was like, ta-da. And I'm, I'm very guilty of it because that's how I was, you know, working. I was working for churches that were, you know, kind of promoting this. And I think it, it really, for a while, like you said, 10 years was the life it was going to live. And then it burned itself out because I think people were looking for something that was more real. Don't you? Yeah. Well, like any movement, it's like a pendulum, right? Is that, if anybody's going to move something, it always moves to a little bit more extreme than it really has to, because that's the only way you can move anything. So I think that's, you know, I read a little bit about what Heibel said and stuff like that, and a lot of it tracked that, is that we tried to do something, but we did something in such a way to where it wasn't really, you know, it was kind of more extreme than what we wanted. And so, you know, I give, you know, I give them all a break for that. And the nice thing about history is that you look back, and uh, the nice thing about history is that you look back and you're gonna, you say to yourself, okay, what was the outcome of this? You're able to actually analyze what was the outcome. And I give the seeker movement good marks because at the end of it, churches were better for it. That's really what it came down to. And really, Willow Creek used that as an opportunity for them. And really, you know, this is one of the big, really, blessings about it, was that Willow Creek really got started in feeding you know, the massive amounts of small churches in the United States. Most, most churches are small. Most churches are under 100. And they found a way to just say, hey, we want to help you. We want to help you. And so that wasn't just good for Willow Creek. That was right, good for right. everybody. That was good and, for everybody, yeah. And, and I took a couple of teams of people throughout the years to their worship conference. You know, it was interesting because you're in this huge building. It's got all of these yeah. little restaurants in the front of it. You know, you're thinking a restaurant at church. I think about how they modeled, they would say, you know, listen to what's on the radio, what's relevant, can you weave that into your church service? So I think, Garth, we did Desperado, you know, we did um, Wide Open Spaces by the Dixie Chicks, we did There She Goes, I mean, we did crazy songs that were, you know, we did Journey stuff, we did Foreigner, we did anything, because people would say, oh, I, I recognize that from the radio. They were trying to draw the average person in that wasn't a churchgoer. But somehow it was like a revolving door. They'd get those people in for a while. They'd be entertained, like going to a good movie. And then they didn't want to grow or learn. So they'd just walk right. out the door. You get your next batch in. So I think it, it was interesting. So t- let's talk about churches today. What do you think churches today are doing right to reach people? Because like out here in, in rural America, I just feel like, you know, the doors are closing every, every week. I mean, Garth, it's like the little old churches, they're just closing down their doors. They're, they're working with other churches. Where do you see that churches are coming up short? I think this is one of the harder questions, is that 
I think there was opportunities in the 90s to make up ground, like the secret movement. That's why, you know, I said, I don't think I said anything negative about it. I, I think the negative things about it, I think we know about, is like the shallow, the shallow end of it, or how effective was it to take people that went and to guide them onto the journey. Like Rick Warren uses the baseball diamond, you know, get him to first base, second base, third base, right, exactly. home plate, and he's got definitions for all that. That was good. <clears throat> the, the problem nowadays, now that we're in the 21st century and the second decade of it, is that we've tried a lot of things, and they've worked, and they've gained the ground, but now we're at a position to where I think what churches, there, I think there's two things that our ch- churches are doing. I think churches are less, uh, church, churches are less stogy, which is nice, and they're welcoming to people. So you walk them in there. If you walk into a church, they don't kick you out because you look a little different. I think that's, a, I, I think that's one of the good things that they're doing. Right. Um, the emergent church, we really need to talk about that, okay. is that that's the modern version of the seeker-sensitive church. It's not seeker-sensitive at all, but the emergent church is basically about, okay, we're not going to do anything with traditional stuff, but we're going to be very, um, you know, we're not going to try to hide God either, but we're going to try as many unusual things as we can that are at the request of the congregation and do it that way. And, I, and personally, you know, we can talk about the theology. I mean, that's another subject, but... Um, I think that's a very good thing because it gives people options and choices and people are diverse and they want if if they want to go to church they'll find a place to where it won't be such a negative boring you know bubble thing for them. So I think so, that's a good thing. I think that's what churches are doing right. With the emergent church and and you know just the average listener isn't going to understand what that's like and you're talking about it being yeah. kind of today seeker sensitive but give a couple examples. So when you're saying they're not doing traditional um, they're doing something different. What what would be a couple examples of what they would do that was different? Okay, well, basically, they'll... Uh, okay, you take your standard church service, and, and I know there's more to a church than just the church service, but you've got... Okay, you've got the music at the start, and then you've got some type of prayer, and then you've got some type of sermon, and then maybe you've got some stuff after the sermon. And, I mean, it's it's the Pentecostal liturgy, as they, what, as they say. Uh, a merchant church is going to do everything other than that. <laughs> you know, they'll put candles, stuff. They'll, they'll. One of the things that picked up about the three years ago was sacred spaces, and the point was is that get the interior designers in, and just make the church look nothing like a regular church. Um, maybe people, maybe they would shift the services to Sunday night only, and not even have Sunday morning service. It's just like everything other. And, and the point was is that let's let's just totally forget about this is the way we used to do things and totally be goal-oriented, um, that is, sort of thing. You know, now, the good thing about that is that, hey, you know, change is good, and, right. and you know, we've had enough of the whole, you know, whole thing. But at the same time is that it's the pendulum thing, it's the whole pendulum thing, is that the moment you make a move, it's usually a little bit more extreme than it needs to be, and then all of a sudden you've got all this wild stuff, and you're going in there, and you're just going, you know, what are all these candles there? Is it going to burn down the church? Or, sure. or you know, that, that type of thing. You go into it, and you just go, this is just, I'm not comfortable anymore. And so that's the negative part of it. Do you think um, that they're trying to do this to get more people in the door? Is that what their whole purpose is, is to try to well, make it? Well, no. Okay, that's a great question. That, that's a really great question. The thi- uh, let's talk about the seeker-sensitive. The thing about the seeker-sensitive is that sometimes people wouldn't have the best motives. They would want to just add to their flock. And I, I was listening to a song today by a definite atheist 
type of guy. The guy wrote it. But that was the thing that he said in his lyric, is that anointed just want to add, you know, just want to count their sheep, is what he says. Hmm. And so, I mean, a lot of it came off. I mean, I'm not saying a lot of it, because that's too general a thing, but the seeker-sensitive thing sometimes came off as that we just want larger churches. We just want more people around. You know, we want more people at our party. It's, it was less authentic. Let's go back to the word that you mentioned. I think the thing about emergent churches, and I'm trying to put a good spin on it because there's plenty of negative to talk about as well, but the thing about emergent churches that is good is that they really try to be authentic. In fact, I think maybe that's the only word in their vocabulary. Okay, if it's authentic, right. yeah. if it's what we mean to say and it's what we really believe, then it's good and let's mm-hmm. include it in. And Let's be very honest, let's be uh, have it with a lot of integrity, and let's not be ashamed of it. Sure. Or, or let's, not, let's not just put things out to just please people. We're, anything that pleases us, is go, we're just counting on it. If we like it, then somebody else likes it. Okay. So it's that sort of thing. So when you and I worked together at a church in West Central Minnesota out here, you were my band director, and you were an incredible bass player and keyboard player. And you and I created a team. I worked with vocals. I worked with the drama. You helped with the band, rehearsing them. You were really good. I felt like it was effective. We worked as a team. We had some difficult people to work with, but we worked with a team. I think those people, Garth, several of those people, were really already headed into the emergent type of a feel. And that wasn't my cup of tea. That wasn't what the church was at. They weren't there yet. I think that was frustrating for them. But for the most part, we worked pretty good for a while as a team. Do you think that ministries today are working like that? They're team-minded now that the shift of church land is changing. Well, one of the one of the sometimes um, I almost think, and and again, we're talking about a whole range of churches, but churches, a lot of churches are in crisis um, because of leadership issues. And also people having, so that's the back end of people having choices. Once people have choices, then you've got a congregation that's pretty, you know, a, a congregation that's less settled and more active. Um, Facebook, you know, kind of creates crises because people are talking to each other more. Right. And then all of a sudden the leadership wants, you know, look, just do what we say. I mean, you know, with good intentions. But then you've got all these different ideas and you know, even the apathy of the congregation. So you have, the, the, you know, churches in crisis. And, and going back to the worship teams, <clears throat> when churches are in crisis, it's so much harder for worship teams to be integral unit. They, the, then they become in crisis. And I, I found that when the church is in crisis, then the worship team is in crisis. It's kind of like hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Okay, that's the bad end of it. The good end of it is that there's so much more resources nowadays, and the heads of the worship can handle the worship team much better, and they, you know, they're willing to say, no, this is what we're after, instead of being all generic and general about it. And that helps the worship team. So I think, I think worship teams probably perform a lot. They do the teamwork a lot better nowadays as a whole, but the crises in churches makes it just so much more difficult for them. And so it's like, 
they gain they gain two steps, but then they go back two steps, and sure. so it is a challenge. But the challenges are different than what when we were together. Okay, so Garth, let's launch into a little bit more tricky talk now because we're talking about churches and churches changing, and in rural America, it's different for me because we have a lot of traditional churches out here. They don't know what seeker sensitive is. You know, they're used to just going to their traditional service, and and you yeah. know they've got their hymns, they've got their liturgies, everything's the same. But I want to talk about a shift in church land across the nation, across the world, actually, with some of the things that I'm hearing and seeing. And I want you to do your fabulous Garth thing that you do, which is you really, you know, take a very broad look at things from every angle. And that helps me because I'm going to be um, I'm going to be stuck in the same place because this is how I feel. I believe that. You know, the Bible is culturally relevant. I believe that it's truth. I believe that it's God's word. And I believe that we need to be following it. But here's what's happening. Um, we're hearing of, of pastors that are kind of starting to shift and move on their philosophies. So, for example, one of those pastors who took a hit because he said he was culturally relevant um, on his stance on hell is former pastor of the megachurch Mars Hill Bible Church in Michigan, Rob Bell. And Mars Hill Bible Church met in what was formerly Grand Village Mall. So right there you're seeing a different thing than a regular church building. They, they met in what was a mall. And it grew to over 10,000 people on a weekend. So what Pastor Rob, he was a pastor at the time, said in his Love Wins book was this quote, Heaven and hell are choices we make and live with right now. God gives us what we want, including the freedom to live apart from God, which he says is hell, or turn God's way, which he says is heaven. Now, liberal religious blogger John Pavlovitz said this about Rob, quote, For a while it was a Christian bubble love fest, meaning everybody thought that, you know, it was, it was great with Rob. He had this church growing. Okay, back to his quote. Then something happened. Rob Bell sinned. Rob Bell's sin was simply that he didn't stick to the script, the Bible. He deviated. He dared to ask questions. He challenged the status quo. He moved against the grain. He went rogue and everything went south or rather went to hell, end of quote. The relationship turned toxic when Bell wrote a book called Love Wins in which he challenged the idea of hell, a seemingly untouchable, immovable pillar of the Christian worldview. So what I want to know is, what do you think of this? Here's my last quote from Pavlovitz. Bell's been maligned for softening the gospel, crafting a new age feel-good version of Christianity that's theologically neutered and built for mass consumption. He's been vilified and demonized for perverting the message of Jesus to grow his brand. So tell me what your thoughts are on Mr. Bell and his whole spin on Love Wins because, you know, as I, as I read through some of the book, Garth, he really wants to challenge you to think about the fact that hell isn't what we believe hell is. And I, I don't agree with him. So you tell me what you're thinking. Um, the thing with, okay, the thing with Bell is that, first of all, I should state that I respect him pretty highly. And I read, like, Velvet Elvis. That was the one book I read from, from him. And I really liked it. And the, what I liked about the book... What, there's two things I liked about the book. One is I liked what, where he was coming from in his writing, and that he was willing to just come out and tell the truth and forget about the elephants in the room and everything like that. And he said a lot of things that people weren't saying. Um, and I like that. Uh, however, I could tell that 
he was just on the fringe of everything. It's like the the way I like to describe it is that he had an eternal chip on his shoulder about being bored his whole childhood and young life. You know, being bored in a church. He was, you know, he had to go to church. He was bored, and I could, you know, you could just tell from the way he writes that it just, it really just unnerved him. It's like it's 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 like the idealist to an extreme is that he sees the ideals of the Christian life, and he saw the church just stepping on it and just doing just the worst thing to it. So I should say from right off that I really respect him. Now, the um, thing about him with the, uh, with the health thing is that obviously that was the big thing to where it's kind of like, okay, he's going to question one of the cardinal historic doctrines of the Christian church. I mean, it's not like it was just a recent thought that we believed in hell. It's been that way for 2,000 years. So he comes out and writes a book, and that was his outing as far as departing from one of the cardinal doctrines. You could, before that, you couldn't get him on one of the real particulars. He was just kind of saying, well, let's just do a little bit, things a little bit different. And everybody was able to tolerate him. But then when he, when he did Love Winston, then he talked about, well, you know, challenging the ideas of hell. Then all of a sudden everybody says, well, okay, well, forget it. You know, you know, and so that was like the separation. It's like all of a sudden you're not one of us. So here's my thought process, though. What I don't understand about Mr. Bell's thinking is if Jesus Christ, if he's saying this, if Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, which he believes, was buried and rose again, what is his purpose then for coming here? You know, why did he die? If there is no heaven and hell, and obviously if you're reading your Bible, you know, which is... I believe relevant, even though Mr. Bell doesn't believe that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. I mean, what is the purpose if there is no hell? Why, why even have him be here? Why would God send him? Well, this is the love wins. Really, is universe. I mean, I'll go into theology a little, just a little bit on this, but love wins isn't anything new to anybody who understands universalism, and that's really the core thing that we're talking about: universalism. Now, universalism wants to teach, or it just straight, straight out teaches, that everybody's going to go to heaven. It's like, eventually everybody's going to be reunited with God. And the thing that they turn on with that is that God forgives man, and that forgiveness is whole, and it's complete, and it's unconditional. So there's nothing that man can do to sin his way out of the forgiveness of God. So, and that's even a cardinal Christian doctrine concerning forgiveness, because that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what um, uh, the Christian Church teaches, right, is that God right. fully forgives exactly. you, and he does the forgiveness. I mean, we don't earn the forgiveness, God gives it. So universalism takes that the next step and says, uh, universal, I'm sorry, universalism takes it the next step and just says, it's so unconditional, that everybody gets it whether they want it or not, because they have no way of knowing it. The last thing I'll say, even though, I, I look, I'm not a universalist, so, I mean, I discard that for one reason, which I'll bring up in a second, but universal, you, you have to understand that this isn't anything new, and pretty much every Christian theologian has flirted with universalism. I mean, all your heroes that you could go down, you could talk about Chesterton, you can talk about um, Wesley, you can talk about Calvin even, you can talk about um, you know, a whole host of people, C.S. Lewis, you know, even the modern people, they all fiddle with it because, listen, wouldn't you want to be a universalist? Don't, don't you want everybody to go to heaven? I know I do. 
So it's just like I can't resist it. <laughs> you know, right. it, hell is just something. If you really think about it, is is just awful. I mean, you don't even want to think about it. It's just being separated from God for eternity is not, is just like we can't perceive heaven. We can't perceive hell either. So the more you think about hell, the less you want to believe in it. And so I can understand where where Bell goes. Now I want to close this section of my blabbing. <laughs> pardon me. Is is that there is one reason I believe in hell, is because the scriptures say so. And you read the Bible, and it's clear that for the last 2,000 years, the Catholic Church and after the Reformation, the Protestants, we all believe in an eternal hell, is that there are people that go to heaven and there's people that go to hell. That's right. And it's because the Bible teaches it. Now, we can see where this separation is going, is that Bell is really puts more credence on day-to-day living, and he puts the authority there, and he is more willing to say, no, the Bible doesn't have the authority that I think it does. Right. In other words, his personal experience leads him to believe, well, I must be reading the Bible wrong. And so he gets pushed over the edge in that way, in my opinion. Let's take a minute and close this show with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to be aware of today's world and how it stretches and makes us really think about what's truth and what we know to be true from your word. Be with us and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. And friends, join me next week with part two of this same show. We're going to continue with my friend Garth on the ever-changing world discussing church land. See you next week. Friends, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe to it on iTunes and please give us a favorable review so that other people can listen to the show and enjoy it as well. For more encouragement and hope, log on to our website at bestlifeministries.com. And for more information about me, you can log on to kathyweckworth.com. Hey, thanks for being with us today. And until next time, I encourage you to go out and be your best. Yeah.